Welcome, everybody. I'm John Locke from LockingYourSuccess.com, and welcome to our special webinar on achieving more consistent returns and putting the pieces in the right place. Before we get going, I'm just going to quickly remind you that this presentation is for educational purposes only. We're not broker-dealers or financial advisors, and we're not making any specific trade recommendations. Also, please be aware that your risk in trading options is substantial, and make sure you are aware of all your risks prior to placing any trades, and note that we are going to be showing some hypothetical computer-simulated results that are believed to be as accurately represented as possible. However, keep in mind that simulated results can vary significantly from live results for multiple reasons. And with that in mind, we can move forward. For those of you who may not know me, I am a trading performance coach and a wealth coach. I've been training traders in complex option strategies Retail traders, of course, but we also train professional traders, hedge fund managers, and educators from other companies on creating option strategies and investment strategies, as well as about the success psychology and the proper business practices needed to implement those strategies in a manner that creates long-term success. So I've got a lot of experience in helping people overcome the many challenges associated with becoming a long-term successful trader. And I say long-term because anyone can be successful for a few years or four or five years. All it takes is a semi-decent strategy that happens to be applied in a market environment that's not overly hostile to that particular strategy for any length of time. But for long-term success, it's a little different. To be long-term successful, you need to be able to handle drastically different market situations, or at the very least, you need to be able to understand that your strategy, whatever the strategy happens to be, is going to experience periods of time, sometimes extended periods of time, where it's going to have challenges, where you're going to need to deal with drawdowns and periods of poor performance. You'd also recognize that there may be a time when you need to deal with some sort of an environmental change that could make whatever strategy you're doing obsolete. And you know, that's simply part of being a trader. So, you know, the reason I put this webinar together is because I've heard that some people are struggling with their trading this year. And when I look at it, that makes sense because we've had a significant shift in the volatility characteristics of the market this year. And if you take a look at what you do as an options trader, you have to face it that volatility structure as it relates to price movement is literally what we trade as an options trader. And this being the case, you know, some of the strategies that have been fine for years have been experiencing difficulties with this newer thing that's been going on. An example of this is that I have this fantastic broken wing butterfly strategy that I do on, on the Russell where uh, since 2010 it's had nearly a 90% success rate. And, you know, since 2010, year after year, it's had very high, very consistent returns. As a matter of fact, if you went and you back-tested this for the last seven years by the guidelines, the trade only hit maximum loss one time in seven years, and it's maximum loss being a 10% drawdown. So, you know, we might say that that trade has performed brilliantly over the last 10 years. Now, most traders if they've experienced similar results to something like this, they would probably think they're all set or they've found the holy grail or something like that. Until, of course, this February and March and April and May 
and June, and the fate of July right now is questionable. We have a trade that has experienced only one loss, one maximum loss, more than one loss, but only one maximum loss in seven years through the 2011 crash, through the incessant rallies of 2013, the mini crashes of 2015, 2016, and the incredible Trump rally, an extremely consistent rule set with fantastic returns that are actually quite high, higher than they probably should have been. That rule set has had three max losses plus two significant losses in the last five months in a row, and realistically, July is going to lose. So the question becomes, what happened? Well, if you remember, I said the trade performed well or brilliantly, actually, since 2010. And since 2010, the market's been generally uptrending, with the exception of a few very short-term down moves. In addition, the implied volatility, for the most part, has been, which is what we trade, right? We trade implied volatility. For the most part, it's been fairly representative of the assets price movement, which in this case happens to be the Russell 2000. But in late 2017, things started to change. And it wasn't a problem for bullish bias strategies. I mean, a lot of people think that this problem happened in February. It didn't happen in February. Things started to change in December of 2017. Again, they, trade, they, they, they changed in a way that wasn't particularly a problem for strong bullish positions. It wasn't particularly a problem if you had a very bullish broker-wing uh, butterfly on. But for our new, more neutral positions, more neutral broker-wing butterflies or regular butterflies, it was becoming quite problematic. In January, we saw irrationally rising markets, particularly in the SPX, with rising volatility and awkward volatility skew curves. And then... In early February, the relentless uptrend came to an abrupt end, and when it did, the volatility structure made an incredibly large shift, resulting in some pretty unusual results. We have trades that really well exceeded their maximum losses, more than they ever have in the past, including stuff like 2008, including stuff like the flash crash, much more than they should have lost, more than they've ever experienced. And well, then we had put protected positions that did fantastic. The extreme volatility shift that we had and the unusual volatility shift created a situation where positions that were net long puts did much better than expected and realistically much better than they should have. And then following that, we experienced an extended period of time where historical volatility, which is basically the actual price movement of the market, was significantly higher than implied volatility, which is the movement that is priced into the market when we put our trades on. And if you want truly understand what you're trading with options, you'll realize that as an income traders or positive theta traders, we're essentially betting that the actual asset movement in the direction of our risk is going to be less than what the implied volatility suggests. So unless you were lucky and whatever rule set or trade you were doing happened to position you with very little or no risk in the proper direction, if that was the case, you did fine, but if it, was, if it was in the wrong direction, the trade essentially lost under those conditions. Now, since April, the SPX has really quieted down. It had a little, you know, little blip, and you know, it just quieted right down, and it's been a whole lot easier to trade. It's, it's almost back to normal. But the Russell's been a different story. The Russell has, I mean, from a price movement standpoint, things have been on fire. Right? We had a 
basically, it's about as bullish historically as we've ever seen it. The only other time we've seen it more bullish than that was with the exception of the last two trading days, right? The only time we've ever seen it this bullish was after the election. And at the same time, it was having what we call inverse volatility movement, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But that's basically been creating an extended period of pain for those who are not bullishly positioned in the Russell. And the question becomes, with the Russell, where we're having this extended period of time of problematic behavior, and a question we should ask ourselves as traders anytime we experience repeated losses or more than normal, is, you know, is this a temporary situation or has something permanently changed in the market that's going to require a change in the way we, tr way we trade? And realistically, it doesn't even have to be permanent. It just have to, has to be deemed a fairly long-term change. So when I contemplate that, is that, you know, whether this is a long-term change or not, uh, the first thing I have to ask myself is, do I know specifically why the trade is losing? Because one of the things that I found out coaching people is they don't really know why the trade's losing because they don't really understand the trade in the first place. They don't understand volatility, right? You know, they just make the assumption that it lost because of a price movement or something like that. But you really have to figure out, you know, what's the, or you have to know what's the real reason that this trade is, is, is experiencing a problem. And once you figure that out, you need to ask yourself, well, is this a reason that's likely to persist for a long period of time? If the answer is no, then we continue trading the way we've been going all along. If the answer is yes, we have a permanent problem or we have a long-term situation on our hands, then we need to ask ourselves what modifications do we need to do to thrive under the new conditions. Because just because something works, something that's going to work extremely well in one condition is going to perform very differently in a very different condition. And you know, we don't necessarily want to adapt to something that's really temporary. Uh, if we deem it long-term, we definitely want to adapt to it. But something that's really temporary, I mean, we don't want to change our whole trading structure to revolve around that because chances are it's going to go back to normal and then you're going to have problems again. Most of the time, with the better strategies, for the most part, a losing situation is generally temporary. And the drawdowns are, I mean, they need to be considered part of the normal win-loss cycle of whatever strategy you happen to be doing. Uh, and you're going to experience that with any trade. It doesn't matter what you're doing, even if it seems like it's been doing well for a very long period of time. So in the majority of the cases, it's best if you're a rule-based trader, and I'm going to make a distinction here, it's best if you're a rule-based trader to tough it out most of the time, uh, like I said, unless you've deemed something's changed for a long period of time. And that's true even if it has to be on paper uh, or trading a smaller position. Because you want to be in the strategy. You want to learn from that. You want to learn from your losses. You want to be able to uh, continue to trade it through those tough periods and take out the learnings and really understand how that position is going to react, You know, even if you end up putting your real money somewhere else. So a rule-based trader is usually better off doing that rather than simply hopping into uh, another strategy or giving up. And, of course, if you happen to be a good subjective or adaptive trader, that's a different type of trading, right? If you're, if you're a good subjective or adaptive trader, then in that case, you probably should have at this point understood that, hey, something's changed, and let's do something a little bit different, okay? How are we defining a temporary or long-term, three months, six months, et cetera? It depends on your trading horizon and, uh, and what you're doing. So it's a little bit of an individualized question. Uh, I can tell you in general, for the most part, 
if you have a market shock, it's going to last at least three months. You're going to have, uh, uh, usually it's, a shock's going to be a down move, okay? Then it's usually going to, cons- it's going to be volatile for 30 to 60 days, which is going to, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. It's going to be volatile for 30 or 60 days, and then usually you're going to see some sort of recovery period, and then typically you're going to resume back into an uptrend. If you don't, and I'm not going to be talking about the market indicators here. I have some market indicators that that will um, talk about something being a little bit long-term. We'll cover that in the X4 program. But if we're going to end up in a continued downtrend or a continued long period of volatility, then you're going to want to make a switch. So uh, basically, if you have a strategy that's essentially bullish, say, or very neutral or neutral bullish, part of your training or part of your um, thing would be to have some sort of a procedure or method to determine when the market has gone into a downtrend because your bullish strategy, like say we trade a bull trade for those of you who know what that is, which essentially is a bullish vertical, generally that trade is going to do very well. If the market's sideways, the market is going to do great. If we have a temporary down move, yeah, I might max loss out once or twice or, or whatever, but you know the market in general is still uptrending, so we have to plan for the reversal of recovery and then the, and then the following continued up move in the marketplace. But at some point, you have to make a decision that, hey, this is really no longer uh, uptrending. It's no longer really sideways. The market's downtrending at this point. And w- once you made that decision, then you're going to want to trade differently because that's an environment shift and you're not going to want to trade that way anymore. But generally, that, that's, that's usually the cycle that happens. And we'll show the, the cycle a little bit here coming up. All right, so getting back to those who might be struggling. Two questions that I like to talk about or ask people when we start working together are, you know, what is it that you're trying to accomplish with your trading and what are your expectations when it comes to trading? And primarily when I say that, it's usually talking about results and the amount of effort put in. And the purpose for asking these questions or one of the main purposes it would be to determine whether or not the trader's expectations are going to help them or hurt them. Realize that having an unrealistic view of what to from trading is one of the leading causes I see in failure to ever overcome that point to where you're actually ever a really good trader. You see, a lot of people come into trading from jobs or places where they put in work, and as a result of putting in the work, they got a paycheck. And as a result of that, on some level, they have this expectation, whether it be conscious or unconscious, that if they work hard at trading, if they work hard enough, then they should get a steady stream of money. And the harder they work, the more money they should make. Some of you may argue with me and say, well, it's not true. You know, I don't expect to just work harder and make more money. I expect to take losses. I don't expect to win all the time. And you, know, you might even believe that you're perfectly fine with losses consciously. And I have people tell me this all the time, by the way. However, I've learned through many, many years as a success coach and as a parent that you don't believe what people say, nor should you necessarily believe what you tell yourself. You need to look at not what you tell yourself, but you need to look at what you do. You need to look at what other people do. Because what they do and what they feel about certain things that happen is going to show you what they actually believe not what they say they believe. So 
what I'd like you to do is to think back to the last time you took a, a loss or you lost a trade or possibly two trades or three trades that may have even been in a row or remember a time that you doubled your capital you know you've been trading along and you know hey things been going well for the last six or eight months or ten months or a year I'm going to double or triple my capital and then you lost and think about how you felt and think about what you did as a result of those losses. Did you feel excited because you lost? Because now you're more likely to win the next trade? Or did you feel anxiety or fear or uncertainty? If you felt anxiety or fear or uncertainty, or you started looking around for some shiny new trade, then there's a good chance that you were fooling yourself thinking that you were expecting to take losses because you truly didn't expect the loss. Because if you truly accepted the risk that you took upon entry and you truly knew your trade and you properly tested that position or that strategy and you had full confidence in your process and how that process relates to the market, you would be excited about your losses because now there's a drastically increased probability for a series of wins. Because if your trade actually has a 90% probability of winning, right? So if you, if you had a trade that actually had a 90% legitimate probability of winning and you lost four times in a row and nothing fundamentally changed in the market to change those odds, you literally have to have a series of wins to bring probabilities back in line in that case. You have to have it in order to bring your probabilities back in line. On the flip side, if you had a series of wins, you should start getting concerned concern about the abnormally high probability for a series of losses that you now have because unless if you have a if you have an abnormally large series of wins unless something fundamentally has changed in the market that changes things it's going to require a series of losses to bring your probabilities back in line but what we find with behavior from traders is the opposite the majority of traders are going to scale up in trade size when things are going well what this tells me is that the trader, at least unconsciously, has forgotten that his trade has probabilities. He's forgotten about the win-loss ratios because he's scaling up as the probability of winning is going against him. He expects to keep winning the trade over and over again despite the fact that every successive win increases the probability of losses. And this behavior of scaling in that manner tells us the trader thinks the trade is going to continue to win. He has an unrealistic expectation as to what the trade is. But those losses, they will eventually come. And when they do, how does the typical trader behave? What do they do? They scale down. They switch strategies. They stop trading. Just when the probabilities most favor a series of wins. And as a natural consequence of this behavior of the scaling up into winning streaks and scaling down after losing streaks or during losing streaks, what that results in is it results of bursts of success with small positions followed by losses on much, much larger positions. And as a, as a result, you end up with a flat or a negative profit and loss curve over time, basically meaning that even if you're trading a really great strategy, you're losing, right? from a dollar perspective. And the root cause of that is basically being unrealistic with the expectations as it pertains to trading. So the question becomes, well, what do we do about that? Well, we can do several things. I mean, one thing to consider is that if you have a trading strategy 
you need to truly internalize that it's not the holy grail. It's a process. It's a process that has probabilities. It's a process that has win-loss ratios. It has strengths. It has weaknesses. And those strengths and weaknesses combined with the different random market scenarios are going to give you a certain statistical set of probabilities and win-loss ratios. Be aware of what those trade strengths are. Be aware of what the weaknesses are. Be aware of what the probabilities are and then use them to your advantage. If you truly know your strategy and it's a great long-term strategy and nothing has changed in the market to change that, then scale down when you're experiencing an abnormally large series of wins. I mean, an abnormally large series of wins isn't three, but, you know, if you have – look at the M3 trade for 2000 and. In 17, for example, I, I think every month was a winner. And coming out of the end of 2016, I believe, was fairly good. You know, And I, I determined a 9-3 win-loss ratio on that trade. If I've won, say, 15 trades or 18 trades, I have to think about that for a minute. There's something about the market environment that has been abnormal in order for me to win that many trades. And when the market does the opposite because it doesn't go from abnormal back to normal necessarily. It goes from abnormal one direction to abnormal the other direction and then back to normal. And when it goes abnormal the other direction, I'm going to have a series of losses from that. I have to, or, or at least I have to expect that that's likely to happen. And I want to make sure that I'm position sizing appropriate to deal with that cycle. Okay, so I want to scale down. If, I, if I'm pulling 12 wins in a row, I, I, I certainly want to think about scaling down on that strategy. And like I said, if you know your trade, you're going to know what an abnormally large cycle of wins looks like. And then if I get an abnormally large cycle of losses, in other words, once my odds have – I've had my winning cycles that were abnormally large, I have to expect my trade to level out to its normal win-loss ratio, and once it starts going the other way where I'm losing more trades than I win over the last 24 months, say, than, you know, than normal compared to what I should be winning, then the chances are the market's going to normalize into a good environment for that position once again, and I'm going to want to be position size fairly large when that happens to take advantage of the very likely probable winning streak that's coming up on me because, you know, by the time I get frustrated enough with what I'm doing, uh, well, let's talk about let's talk about switching trades for a minute. So a lot of times when when somebody takes a, a series of losses on a good trade, right? So they might have a good trading system, and, and, and like I said, I'm not even naming any system at all. You, if you properly back test if you've properly done your work on your trading system, you should know if you have a good system, and what tends to happen is a lot of traders, they have a good system that they're trading, and they take an abnormally large number of losses. Sometimes it's only one loss, but usually for most people who are a little experienced, it's after an abnormally large number of losses. Um, they think about switching strategies. By the time you get frustrated enough with what you're currently doing, and you look at a new trade and you get excited enough about that new strategy, that you want to switch over to. You're probably excited about that strategy because it's had a winning streak. And by the time you switch over to it, that strategy, whatever it is, is probably due for a series of losses 
or perhaps if it's one of those newer strategies that wins a very high probability that take on an extremely crazy amount of risk, you might be overdue for one a big enormous loss. In other words, you're trading strategies a strategy because you've determined at one point that the strategy has historically won five out of six trades over, say, the last 20 years. And it's won 20 trades in a row. If that's the case, unless something's magically happened to change the win-loss ratio of the strategy, the trade has to lose four times to meet expectations of the trade. And those losses are likely to come from a temporary environment shift. And when that temporary environment shift happens, it seems like the end of the world. It seems like the strategy is over and you're done, right? So that being the case, you see this other strategy that seems to be working well or has worked well for the last six months or whatever, and you jump into that one. Then that's been an abnormally long streak for whatever is for that trade. And then you jump into it and then it loses, almost as if it knew you were going to do that. It's because you jumped into a strategy where the cycle was in a high probability of a loss. So if it seems like you're constantly switching strategies and you're switching into winning strategies, and as soon as you start trading it, you lose, or as soon as you scale up, you lose, Something like this might be why. And, you know, I even see that within our strategies. You know, somebody will lose in a bearish butterfly or they'll have a tough period in a bearish butterfly position. They'll jump into a bull trade because the bull trade's been doing well. And then the bull trade loses because it's or it's won for the last eight months in a row or whatever it happens to be. And, you know, they take a couple losses on that. And then they look back and they say, hey, the bearish butterfly's been doing well. And they jump back into the bearish butterfly. And then... You know, in the back end of the cycle, they win a couple months, they scale up, and they say, and then, you know, the trade takes this normal loss, and they say, oh, well, you know, hey, the M3's been doing well for a while. Let me jump into that one. Um, and, and, you, and you get in this perpetual cycle where you're just, you're just not doing well, right? So you need to consider that as a reason why if you're having uh, challenges like that with switching strategies. Now, I want to make a bit of a disclaimer here. All this talk about, win-loss ratios makes a really, really big assumption. It makes an assumption that you're following a structured process exactly how it has been traded in the past. You need to recognize that if you haven't traded the strategy exactly by the guidelines, so you're in the trades and you haven't traded them exactly by the guidelines or the way that they were back-tested, your personal results don't mean anything as it relates to the win-loss ratios because you're doing something different you're not actually following the strategy. And when you do something different, anything different, you might have gotten different results. You might not have, but you might have. Therefore, to make any sense out of that, you have to look at what the results would have been had you followed the process that was tested to make a determination on whether you should have lost those trades or you should have won those trades. And of course, if you're the type of trader who doesn't follow a structured process that's been tested, in other words, you say to yourself, I'm doing the, I don't know, whatever trade, you know, uh, whatever trade you happen to be doing, because this trade wins 80% of the time. But then you take that system and then you subjectively enter at different dates and you make up adjustments as you go along, or perhaps you're completely subjective, or perhaps the trade rules themselves are subjective, then you really don't have anything to go on. 
Not that there's anything wrong with being subjective. If you're experienced in being subjective and you understand the market and how the trades react and you're confident with your decisions about how to interact with the changing markets, that's fine. I mean, I often trade that way myself. But if that's the case, you can't go back and make any meaningful expectations about your win-loss ratios or probabilities and what you're doing because you don't have any long-term history of, of consistent decisions in that case. And if that's the case where you're being subjective, but at the same time you're sort of trying to follow the rules because you want to say I trade the whatever trade, and you're doing this because you're not really experienced enough to know what things mean, then you can't say the trade has a certain probability of winning or, or a certain win-loss ratio because you're not following it. And it makes sense in that case as well that you'd have confidence problems with your trading. Realistically, if you're at that level, you should really take a step back and you know follow a strategy that you can test until you get the experience that you really need before you go very subjective with any kind of reliability with your trading. So assuming you're following a well-tested non-subjective strategies, you know, the first thing you need to do is to create realistic expectations for those strategies. And if you want to help smooth your returns, you want to vary your your capital size strategically. Like I said, if you're going completely off probabilities and you're not taking really taking market conditions into consideration, it makes sense to increase your capital size when things aren't going so well and then start to decrease it as things go well for extended periods of time. So recommending scaling down in strategies that are experiencing abnormally large, an abnormally large series of wins, uh, scaling up after an abnormally large series of losses, avoid switching into strategies just because the other strategy happens to be winning uh, or on a winning streak because it's probably overdue statistically for a series of losses or perhaps a big enormous loss. If a strategy that has historically won five out of six trades on average over the last 20 years has won 15 trades in a row or 20 trades in a row or something like that, unless something's magically happened that changes the win-loss ratio of what that trade should be, the trade literally has to lose three or four times in, in close proximity to each other to perform to expectations. Keep that in mind. Now, we may not know when those losses are coming. In other words, I might have won 10 trades and I might win another 10 before I lose, but the probabilities are certainly pulling against me. If I have some idea, which I recommend you do at some point, even if you're quote-unquote market neutral, you should have some idea of if the market's acting, behaving normally or not, because you could add that to your valuation process, and that could also help you with your trade scaling size or decide what your probabilities really are in the marketplace. But, you know, if normally you're winning nine, losing three, and you've won 18, you have, to, you, have to, you have to take that seriously. You have to take that seriously. You have to say what's going on in the market in that case. Uh, okay, so a question, uh, how do we scale up after a series of losses if I've already been trading the correct position size? If you've been trading the correct position size, stay there, right? If, you, if you've been trading the correct position size, certainly stay there. And if you experience a very large number of wins, disproportionately large to, from what you should have, scale down. Bring your size down. Right, so if I'm in a trade that normally wins nine and loses three, and I'm, you know, I probably go as high as 12 trades. If I've won 12 trades, I know the odds are against me at that point. 
and I, and that would probably prompt me into maybe bringing my position size down for that just for that reason. And then you know I have to expect a rocky period or a series of losses, and when I get them, I'm going to consider going back up to my my normal size again. Okay, um, I wouldn't oversize just because you've lost a bunch of trades. I think that's that's going to be foolish, right? So you don't want to do that because again, just like you can experience a very large abnormally number of wins, you can also experience a very large abnormal number of losses. And you know your scaling up is going to be different, but your probabilities become better, especially if you can make some sort of a market identification of when the thing that caused your trade to lose is likely to relieve itself then uh, you can start scaling up at that point and, and you come into some pretty big wins. And I'm going to actually show you a little bit later. If, if you know your trades and you know when they're going to work, you can apply what you see in the market to uh, deal with this. Okay. So consistency ties in with expectations. Let's start with the question. What does consistency in trading mean to you? A lot of people say they want consistency, but when I ask them specifically what consistency means to them, they, one, they either have no idea, or two, they have this, this uh, impossible ideal that is, completely that is completely unrealistic. So, you know, I ask, what does it mean to you? Does it mean making the same amount every day? Does it mean making the same amount every week or any month or any year? If that's what consistency means to you as a trader, you should know by now, if you've been doing this for any length of time, that we as traders have no control over what we make in the short term in the markets. We don't have any control over that. Yes, we can set ourselves up to win long term. We can put all the probabilities in our favor. We can enter when we want. We can exit when we want. We can control our position size. We can analyze a million things. We can throw out a zillion different theories on what should happen. But in the end... Asset price does its own thing. Implied volatility does its own thing. And we have no choice but to accept what the market gives us or takes from us on a short-term basis. And this being the case, it's going to create some variable results in the short term, okay, regardless of what we want, regardless of what we want. So... You might say, well, maybe consistency means doing the same thing. Maybe it means doing the exact same thing over and over again. So I have this trade, and I trade it the exact same way over and over again, and therefore I'm consistent. And you're right. You would be consistent, and you certainly have control over that, and you can do that. But what is always doing the same thing going to do for your results? Well, we can have the expectation that doing the exact same thing over and over again is going to lead to similar results, only assuming that we're doing those things in a consistent environment. You know, I can't take the corner outside my house at 50 miles an hour on a summer day. Uh, you know, I might be able to do that, and I might be able to do it 50 times and be perfectly fine and have no problem. But if I do it in the snow, I get a very different result. So I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing it in a different environment. But if I'm doing it in the same environment, I think it's reasonable to assume that you're probably going to get a similar result. But in the same context, we also need to realize that doing the exact same thing over and over again in drastically different results or inconsistent environments is going to create very different results. 
and also realize that neither the market nor price movement nor volatility is consistent. Therefore, by definition, if we're consistent and we do the exact same thing in a variety of different circumstances, we have to experience or we have to expect a variety of results. We can't expect the returns to be smooth in that case. So what I'm trying to say is this unconscious quest that many of us have to find one set of rules that wins consistently, regardless of what the market does, regardless of what volatility does, is a complete waste of time. And it's going to prevent you from actually making some real progress in your trading. Now, it's certainly okay to trade that way. I don't have any problem with somebody who takes a consistent set of rules and trades. As a matter of fact, I recommend a lot of people do that. I, I, I think that's probably a good thing. However, if we do that, you need to expect a certain amount of variability or differences in your results, from certainly from month to month. Over long term, you should do fine. But from month to month, and you know, even from quarter to quarter, sometimes from year to year, you can have bad years. Right? It just depends on what the environment does around the marketplace. So if you really want to smooth out results, and by the way, no matter what you do, I can pretty much guarantee you your results are never going to be completely smooth. But if you want to get results as smooth as possible, you need to be, be able to identify the type of environment you're in, understand how various positions react, and vary your approach accordingly. So to do this, be proficient in multiple strategies and know when to utilize them. This means fully understanding and internalizing the characteristics, the strengths, the risks, and the weaknesses in your strategy, understanding what's going on in the market, generally trading to what we can see is happening in the market as it relates to what should be happening, and then scaling downsize when what is happening is at the extremes of what should be happening. So that makes sense. Now, notice I'm not saying anything about what might be happening. I'm not making projections here. I'm not making forecasts. I'm just taking a look at what is, right? Now, you may want to incorporate forecasting and projections into your plans at some point, but for today, I'm only talking about identifying what is happening and what should be happening. So before I move on, I have another question here. Uh, the strategy may have a 70% win ratio, but losing 6 out of 20 randomly is different from losing 6 in a row. That can be catastrophic. If you have a, a trade, and I don't want to discourage people. I had a discussion with somebody I respect a lot who's a great trader who was literally mad at me because I said you might have a losing year. And that's true. But the way I said it was probably incorrect, right? You could have a losing year, but you will derive – chances are you are going to derive income from that strategy throughout the year. So in other words, you might lose any given strategy. You, lose, you end up losing 50% in the first half of the year. Then you know, the rest of the year you might make you know, 30% back, and, and then you may end up losing the year at the end, but you would have had income during the year. So you have income during the year. But it's certainly possible that if you have a 70% win ratio – you have to look at that as losing, on average, you have to look at that, and this is just reality. I'm not, I don't sugarcoat things for every, for everybody, right? I mean, you see a lot of the people that are sugarcoating stuff. The reality is if, if, if you have a 70% win ratio in a trade, there's a decent possibility you might lose six in a row. 
there's a good possibility, particularly if you had 14 wins without a loss, the probability of you having an, an – that means you had an extended period of time where the market conditions happen to be in favor with your trade. What naturally you would need to expect to follow that, if, if your win-loss ratios are going to be correct, and nothing – again, nothing has changed structurally in the marketplace, you have to expect to have six trades, six losing trades at some point in the very near future. They may not be in a row. They might be every other trade. They might be two and a couple wins and a couple losses. We don't know how it's going to come back, but you have to experience – you have to expect a, a period of time in that strategy where you're going to go through some rocky times. It might be over a period of six months. It might be over the period of a year. It might be over the period of two years where, where the, where the win-loss ratios are a little bit the other way. But you have to do that, and it could be six trades in a row. And if that's catastrophic for you, then – Again, if you scale down after you've won 14 trades in your 70% trade, then if you happen to have six losses in a row, that really shouldn't be that catastrophic for you. But if you've won 14 trades in a row at $10,000, you know, seven trades at $10,000, and then seven trades at $20,000, and then you jump to $40,000 and you lose six in a row, you're done, assuming you're trading a large size of your net worth. Right? That is that is a reality of of trading. And you have to keep that in mind when you're sitting there raking in the profits because your strategy is matching the marketplace. Right? So so that's that's the reality of things, which is why I say if you if you have a very large number, then the chances of you having chances of having six losses in a row would be very, very, very crazy low, particularly if you're below ratios, assuming nothing, again, has changed in the market and you've tested your strategy very long term, chances of you doing something like that would be absurdly low. But if that trade's just come off of this huge winning streak, I think that's very probable. As we can see with my trade, which I just lost six, I mean, I'm not trading that one live because I'm adept enough with the market to realize that certain conditions have changed and I may not want to be in that strategy which we're going to be, again, we're going to, we're going to touch on in a few minutes. But had I been doing that, and that was, you know, say that was my strategy, that's what I've been doing, and I've been doing fantastic for, I don't know how many years now, six, seven years now. I've been doing absolutely fantastic, maybe eight years, and boom, I take six. In a way, I have to expect that because realistically, any broken wing butterfly strategy like that, is not going to perform that well, right? I've been, I've been at this business long enough that I know, and I traded over a, a, a very long period of time. I don't really care what it is. I'm not going to get much more than an 80% win-loss, 80% probability. I might get 100% probability for two years. I might get 100% probability for three years. But I know over a long period of time, I'm really not going to get much over 80. And this thing happened to be in the 90s. So I have to think about, well, geez, maybe I didn't backtest it back enough through enough environments. And I didn't. I only did it till 2010, which is fine. But I, like I said, I understand that the trade is not going to have this kind of, 
of a probability. So I have to expect something's going to knock that probability down. And if you factor in the six losses that I that just the trade just took, it kicked me down to about 78% win ratio, 78-ish percent win ratio. And that is more normal. So now I can say, well, this trade at this point has evened out on its probabilities because I know a trade like that's going to have around a 75 to 80% probability. So the trades evened out on its probabilities going forward. I should be able to expect not another three years of winning, not another five years of winning, but probably a more realistic win loss ratio where, you know, I'm going to be winning three or four trades and then I'll lose one then I'll win three or four and then lose one. Right. That is, like I said, that that's the reality of things. So hopefully that is very helpful for people. And, you know, my, my, objective here is to get you to do well long-term. It's not to sugarcoat things to you and saying th things are going to win all the time. Okay. So let's look at, this is this year's price chart in the SPX. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, switching strategies, identifying what's happening in the market and switching strategies. Again, this is not being, uh, I'm not projecting or forecasting what's going to happen. I'm just going by what is happening. So say I'm a trader and I have a series of trades that I do. And I understand that, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of each trade. I understand when they're going to do well. I understand when they're going to do poorly. If I'm entering in an environment like this, and like I said, I could look at the charts before this, but essentially this is a sideways, mildly bullish trending environment. Virtually any kind of income trade is going to do well in this environment. If I'm in an income trade that has been doing well, it's probably doing well because the market has just been very favorable for that type of trade, right? Oh, it's a comment from Ray. Probably the middle of making one cent is different from the probability of making or losing profit target. Yes, yes. So that's another point that we could bring up too, right? Is that if you've truly back tested your trade, you know what you, you know what your probabilities are of uh, doing that. And when I say six losing trades in a row, that may not be max loss trades. That may be six losing trades at 1%, right? That may be six losing trades at 10%. It might be because um, you also need to look at the returns of the trade, right? So if I have a broken wing butterfly, most broken wing butterfly strategies are going to be in the 20, if they're really good, are going to be in the 20 to 30% year or year range. If I go through a period of time where that sucker makes, you know, 60%, you know, even if it had normal wins and losses, I also have to be looking at that saying, hey, this is unusual. Chances are, you know, if I have a long-term record of that, of that making uh, 20, say 25%, for example, and I've had a year of 40% and a year of 60%, I have to look at that and say, you know, pull of a loss here. I'm doing it for one hell of a loss because one way or another, if the the math holds out, I have to get back down to 20%, and I'm up maybe you know 70% more than I should be. And again, position sizing, position sizing, something in the market's due to have a problem. So, uh, so yeah, it's a very good comment, Ray. And you do have to also look at the not only the probability of making or you know, winning or losing, and winning or losing profit target or maximum loss, but also you know, the amount the trade's been up in a certain amount of time. You know, I may have had 
certain win-loss ratio, but my profits may be way up. Or I may have had a really good win-loss ratio and my profits may be way down, in which case, you know, maybe I am in for an extended winning period, but just at small gains. So uh, lots of different ways to look at that. And that's assuming you're going to be a rule-based trader and you're going to trade through everything the exact same way and it's, the strategy is very well tested and you know what your ratios are. A lot of assumptions there and that you're trading it according to that process. So there's a lot of assumptions there. I prefer to come in to... But if you're going to do that, I think varying your capital level a little bit, I think it makes sense. Again, you may disagree with me. Sometimes people do, but that's okay. I have my own opinions. But this is, uh, this is different. This is saying, you know what? I have, I have a certain RMN of trades. I identify what is happening in the market. I just put that on. So in this case here, Virtually anything is going to work. Even moderately bearish in an uptrending market generally tends to work as long as volatility does what it's supposed to do. In other words, we're getting a volatility drop with a stagnant or in a skew steepening with a stagnant or uptrending market. Virtually anything is going to tend to work. If you look here, coming in towards to the end of December, we flattened out a little bit. Um, and then coming into January, we took off and we became where we went into an inverse, what I call an inverse volatility relationship. And what that means is essentially the market's going up or sideways and volatility is either rising or not decreasing and or I'm getting a flattening of the volatility skew curve, which should be steepening and going into more of a smile under those conditions. If I get into that type of relationship, anything moderately bearish is pretty much done. It's just not going to happen. Anything neutral is probably going to lose. The realistically strong bullish bias strategy. So I'm going to be starting to be just be bullish here. Now, if I'm up into this range, at some point I realize that the market is bullish beyond reason. In other words, if you looked at the Monday morning webinars, we talked about this, the SPX being bullish beyond reason. In other words, I couldn't come up with any reasonable excuse from a technical standpoint for the market to be that high. I need to start cranking my size down or right, either cr start cranking my size down or I might want to put protect. But I can't put protect in a neutral position here because a neutral position is probably going to lose anyway. If I'm having, if it's truly neutral, and a truly neutral position is something that takes on risk to the upside and to the downside in a somewhat equal manner, right? It's not a broken wing butterfly where the expiration line doesn't go below zero. That is a bullish position. That's a bullish position. But if I'm in a neutral position or moderately bearish position and I'm getting upward price movement with increasing volatility and if I know that's what's been happening in the marketplace, I'm not going to initiate that kind of trade. I'm going to initiate a bullish trade. If I know I'm extremely overextended, I need to start thinking, hey, wait a minute. i got to think about what's happening in the market. What's the sentiment in the market at that point? If I'm getting a rising market with rising volatility, I have uh, a series of bankers and investors or a flattening skew. All right, that could be the case, too. The volatility itself may not be rising, but the skew might be flattening or uh, we might be going into backwardation in the marketplace. If I have that happening, that's telling me that the, the people are buying stocks, but they're anxious about it. So what is the psychology behind that? Well, if I'm buying stocks and I'm anxious about it, or, or if I'm doing anything, like say I'm overly anxious about something, 
as a person, it doesn't matter what it is, I'm overly anxious about something, I'm really worried about it happening, and let's say all of a sudden it looks like it's really going to happen. What happens, what does a person do at that point? They, 99% of the time, they overreact because they, their radar is already on the worst thing happening, they're focused on it, they're already kind of planning for it, and when it happens, they just, they go all in, right? And they basically, you get, a, you get an overreaction is what you get. That's what happened here. We had the market going up, we had volatility increasing, we had the, the skews flattening, and then when the market environment shifted, we had the overanxious traders or banks and investment people just freaking out, and we had record volatility shifts in the marketplace with that change. And this was very easily identified, by the way, because you can look at this and you can see that we haven't had a substantial down move here in the whole year, right, the previous 12 months. And by the time we got here, and certainly by the time we got here, we, we haven't seen anything like this, that's going to throw people into a panic in that type of an environment. And you're going to have a problem. So in here, I'm initiating bullish strategies. Up in here, I'm reducing size. I may even be, be put protecting at that point. If, if certainly, if I'm full size, I want to be put protecting because I, my my risks and my probabilities are, are really, really abnormally high here. So I want to be doing that. Once this happens, yeah, I probably lost my bullish bias strategy, but I was smaller sized, and I was or and or I was put protected. So I may have even made money in this case because I mean, normally you might not make money from that, but in this case you might because the the shift was so extreme. But once I'm here. I have to identify that as a environment shift. So if I'm initiating trades pretty much any time after this day that is right here, whoops, I'm back, that this day that's right here, I essentially want to be in a high volatility neutral strategy or something that's going to do well in really high volatility. Now something that's going to do well in really high volatility is something that's going to be slow on adjustments up and down, back and forth. Right? It's going to let the trade get a little bit out of control with the assumption that we have a lot of volatility and it's going to come back to mean or average. That type of trade is not going to work here. It's going to lose. It's going to lose in this pretty much this whole up cycle here. But it's going to do extremely well here. So if I'm trading here, I am starting to reduce size coming up into here. I hit this. I'm in high volume territory at this point, I probably I want to increase my size back up and go into a high volatility trade. I'd also be knowing at this point that this trade had taken multiple losses. And um, I have a high volatility, ex uh, and this is why I track trades, by the way. You know, I don't trade a bull trade every month. I don't trade a bearish butterfly every month or an X4 version 22 every month or a 17 every month. But I know every month how that strategy performed. And I know, for example, my high volatility strategy got murdered here but I wasn't trading it. I was trading bullish strategies. I also know that once the market dropped out, I'm in my high volatility strategies and I did fantastic and we do fantastic in those, but I'm not in the strategies that do well here because I know the strategies that do well here are going to, I mean, they might do okay, but they're probably going to lose in this environment. All right. So I want to get into high volatility strategies, probably increase my size back up. As we go in through our period, in this case, it was like 30, almost 60 days. Right. A lot of times something like this is going to last 60 days or th at least 30. I go into this, this period of consolidation where 
the price movement slows down. See here we have very big price movements. We don't have any period of time that the market's relatively sideways. We have this. This is a normalization period in the marketplace. And then after that, it's kind of business as usual. And then eventually it comes back up into an uptrend. Sometimes it's faster than that. Sometimes it can switch really quickly. But um, in this case, this is what happened here. As I go into this period, I probably won't recognize it until it's done. But by the time I get into this area here, I should probably realize that things are slowing down a little bit in the marketplace. That being the case, if I'm in a high volatility market that's going to go into a low volatility market, particularly if it's going to shift into, the up, into an uptrend, which it's likely going to do, I'm not forecasting it's going to do that, but I'm thinking it's probably fairly more likely than not. I want to start scaling down my capital in my high volatility strategies, and I want to start scaling up or switch into a pretty much a completely neutral strategy in this range here. At some point, I want to do that. And then as we break out of our downtrend, and I could draw a line here that goes from this peak to this peak to this peak, which is going to put us right in this level where we start to go over our 20 moving average or our 50 moving average, then I'd want to be back into or push start, start pushing towards something that is a little bit more bullish for the anticipated market movement. Okay, so that is how I would play the SPX. So I got a question, what are bullish and neutral strategies? That's a great question. Let me bring up the strategies that we have, okay, and I can talk about that. So from a Russell standpoint, the bull is obviously a bullish strategy. The bear is going to be a bearish strategy. The M3 is essentially a neutral strategy. Those are the ones I would focus on or, uh, or even the bearish butterfly. If you're going to do uh, some strategy swapping, those are the positions I would do. So M3 is a, a little bit neutral. Bull trade is, like I said, bullish, and the bear is bearish. From an SPX standpoint, the version 14 is completely neutral. The version 17 is bullish. The version 22 is bearish. I'm being asked, is there a matrix or cheat sheet that shows in this type of environment to use this type of trade? That is a good question. No, there is not something that we should consider maybe looking at. For example, high volatility neutral strategies use M3, a bearish butterfly, rock. Yep, that is a, that's, that's, that's a, a good suggestion, so something that we should definitely look into. Let's look at the Russell here quickly on that time, same time frame and talk about what happened in the Russell. Russell actually behaved differently than the SPX in this time frame. Okay, we had, uh, 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 instead of just an uptrend and relatively flat uptrend, smooth, we had a 100-point down move in the Russell here, but it was not a fast down move. It was a gradual trending down move, and then we had a reversal. So in this environment here, again, this was fairly normal, fairly normal volatility environment. This whole cycle should have been essentially fairly easy to trade with almost any strategy with the exception that a bull trade would have lost in through here. The environment shift here, if you're looking for an environment shift, happened here at the green line. What we had is we had, again, this is, has something to do with understanding the normal movement of the index. We had an index that normally moves down 30 to 70 points, moved down 100 points. We had, uh, if you would do cross-index analysis, SPX did not come down. 
realistically, this should have been trading higher. Since it should have been trading higher, I have to expect uh, probably a, a, a normal, a fairly aggressive up move in it. But that the indication that up move's coming is right here when we set in our, you can call this an inverse head and shoulders or a, or a cup pattern, but when this cup pattern confirmed here, then I needed to switch into more neutral bullish strategies. So here, anything would have been okay except a flat-out bull strategy in this particular series. But if you're mildly bullish, you should have been fine. If you're M3-ish neutral, you should have been fine. If you're bearish butterfly, you should have been fine all the way up until about here. After this breakout, we want to start dropping out of the bearish strategies, getting into the neutral and bullish strategies through this whole period of time. Yes, we have a shift here from an uptrend to a sideways trend. But we don't have anything to knock us into volatile territory. Right, the market movement was relatively stagnant here. As a matter of fact, we had record low uh, average true range movements during this time period in the Russell. So this whole period, I, I look at the same thing. You want to be in neutral to bullish strategies. Up in here, we start getting an inverse volatility relationship along with the SPX. You have to switch into strong bullish bias strategies, or you don't have to. Let me word that differently. The more strong bullish bias strategies are going to tend to do better here. And the neutral strategies are going to tend to be problematic until which case we get our breakdown. Now, this isn't as obvious in the Russell, right? Because realistically, even this move down to here in the Russell isn't all that big of a surprise necessarily because we've had that, right? We've had that in the last year. But if you put it in context, and this is why we do cross-index analysis, we want to know what the SPX is doing, we want to know what the Dow is doing, we want to know what the index is doing. The other indexes were horrendously overextended, and clearly, if the SPX goes into a panic, the Russell's going into a panic. I mean, if the SPX has a down move, the Russell might go up, but if it goes into a panic, everything's going into a panic. So here, it would have, we would have realized a little bit later, but at some point, we go into our high-volatility neutral strategies, and then the Russell did not have, you know, had this period of consolidation or normalization, and then it went right back into an inverse volatility relationship with an uptrend, which was different than what the SPX did. But at that point, we again, we have to switch to our strong bullish strategies because the, 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 the neutral strategies are just not going to do well in this particular environment. So if we apply this to the strategies, Right, so let's apply this to some of the strategies. If we're Russell traders, in here, if I'm initiating a trade, I'd be fine initiating an M3. I'd be fine initiating a bearish butterfly. I'd probably even be fine initiating a bull trade, but I would have lost in this particular cycle. Okay, but there's really nothing, and there's really nothing in here to determine or push me out of even a bull trade at this point. It's just fairly normal market movement. And depending on timing, I may or may not have had trouble here with a bull trade, by the way. When I get this breakout, I have to consider, if I'm trading and I'm a true trader, I have to consider that with this breakout, I'm no longer bearish in the market. I'm now bullish. If I'm in a bearish butterfly, I don't necessarily want to hold on to this thing and hope I don't hit maximum loss because I've kind of had an environment shift. So I'd so, you know, in that case, part of my plan, if I was an M21 trader or if I'm just kind of paying attention and I'm concerned about that, yeah, I mean, you're looking at this high maybe, but still, 
we had an abnormally large down move that equals in an uptrending general uptrending market an abnormally large up move. I got my up signal here. I have to think about dropping out of my bearish butterfly or dropping size down or it, you know or waiting and and not pushing it too too much. I want to be bullish. If I'm initiating here, I'm in a bull trade or I'm in an M3 trade, which is relatively neutral. I'm going to do better in a bull trade, obviously, uh, in this particular case, which is going to be relatively neutral. And I would do bull trades and or M3 trades basically through this whole environment here without too much of a problem. I start to go into an inverse volatility relationship. I have to go into bull trade. Uh, or, or my probabilities lie with the bull trade. You know, uh, bearish butterfly is going to get hit. Anything completely neutral is going to get hit. I come into my volatile market. I'm going to want to be in a timed bearish butterfly. And I say a timed bearish butterfly because when the market gets volatile, we have very, very large up moves. Very, very large up moves. And if I don't allow for the first 60, 70, 80 points, then... I can have a problem with uh, hitting the entry at the wrong time in the cycle. Like, for example, I may be hitting it this day, and it probably would have been problematic with, with an up move. So if I'm a time bearish butterfly, in general, is going to do a very well in this uh, marketplace. We switch into here. We start to level out. I, 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 for a short period of time, I'd be interested in doing an M3. Once we go back to the inverse volatility relationship versus price movement, I have to go back bullish again with the strategy. So that is the case there. So uh, what are the implied volatility numbers to be high volatility? See, I don't even look at the volatility numbers. What I do is I make a judgment on, is the market moving back and forth in a relatively fast manner, or is it going in one direction? So in other words, I can be very high volatility, but ending in one, but moving in one direction. And that direction can even be up because I was in high volatility here in the Russell. Volatility was relatively high, but the price movement, so my definition of high volatility is, is rapid back and forth price movement like we're getting here, right over a series of days. Or, or in a week, I go back and forth a lot. That's volatility, that's back and forth movement. Bearish butterflies do fantastic in back and forth movement. M3s do usually fairly well in back and forth movement you need to be aware of that, right? That's a characteristic of the trade. I don't want to enter a trade here unless I'm timed. That is, for example, a bull trade. I don't want to necessarily enter a even a bearish butterfly because of the size of the move. Because it's, because it's literally a bearish trade, then I, I do need to watch my bottoms on this thing. And this, like, this is something I corrected with the X4 program, by the way. We'll talk about that in a minute. But... Can I share what the moving averages are? Green is 200-day or 200-period moving average. Simple. Um, we have uh, in blue, we have 50 and 20 in the uh, in the red. Okay. That is the thing here. Now, if you're an M21 trader, right, then, uh, you know, you've taken, say, M21, you've taken, you know, ultimate income trader, 8 p.m. squared, then then you can make more aggressive predictions on the market. The bearish butterfly, the M3, and the bull trade, uh, and even the rock trade were essentially made to take more aggressive shots at the market from a directional standpoint. In other words, your call needs to be more accurate with those trades than with, say, the X4 trades. If we come over to X4, these are trades in the end 
in, in the SPX, we have the same thing. We have a version 14. A version 14 is a neutral trade. It's much more neutral, actually, than an M3 trade. Okay, we have the version 17. It's a bullish trade, but it's much less bullish than, say, a bull trade. We have the version 22, which is our high volatility and bearish, bearish bias trade, but it's much less bearish than a bearish butterfly. In addition to that, a, v, a V22, for example, when it goes bad, it loses only a small amount, but when it does well, it still gets up into the 30% range. So these are still trades that are geared toward very specific environments, but they do it so they do so in a much more mild manner than what we're doing on the Russell. That gives us the opportunity to be a lot less worried about what the market is what you know whether we're right or not when we're calling when we're calling our, our environment or whether we get an environment shift mid trade, I have to be less I can be a lot less correct in the X4 trades and still do fairly well. So if I come in here and go back to our slideshow, which is here, and we go to the SPX, we have our relatively sideways movement here which is great for a version 17, a version 14, or 22. They'll all perform very well in this type of sideways environment. Generally, the 22 is probably going to perform the best, although they'll all perform well. We, you can see here we're in more or less of a sideways trend, and we have a breakout into a new territory here. You know, so if I'm initiating a trade after the breakout into the new territory, I'm going to lean towards a version 17. Again, not at a reduced size. This is going to be a normal version 17 at this point because, you know, a 22 will still probably do okay here, but it's probabilities if I go into an extreme uptrend, I'm going to have, it might start to be problematic. In this case, it wasn't. The 22 performed well through pretty much all this period of time. The 14 is probably going to prepare, uh, is going to do well here too also, but again, not as good as the 17. So... Ideally, it really doesn't matter in through here and through here. I'd want to start when I know I'm, when I see I'm obviously in an uptrend, and I can tell that too by the 20-day moving average being over the 50-day moving average being over the 200-day moving average. I'm going to want to lean towards the 17. As the index becomes irrationally overextended, and the 17 will work well too in the inverse volatility relationship, by the way. As it becomes way overextended, I'm looking, I, I'm looking at starting to reduce size. Because now the market is is not really making sense to me anymore. And if you look at the version 17 record, by the way, too, you're, you'll see a series of like 18 wins or something like that without a loss. So, again, this is going to be due for a series of losses at this point. I'm going to start reducing size, but I'm still going to want to remain bullish because if I go to 22 here, it's going to lose. And the version 22, by the way, it did terrible in through here because it's that's not what it's designed for. Um, and we had the inverse volatility relationship, which is just an extra kick in the pants. So up in here, I'm doing the 17. As soon as I get the volatility shift, and I can and I can make the assumption, and I may not always be right, but I'm going in general, I'm going to make the assumption that if I get a, a, a big move that I haven't gotten in two years, that I'm going to experience a either a period of downtrending moves or a period where the where the market is up and down a lot. Again, I, that's what I call volatile. I'm not referencing any kind of RVX number or VIX number 
or or anything like that. I'm just I can I can see this. I can see it here in my average true range. All right, a non-volatile market. I mean, I'm doing 15 points a day on average. Now I bump up to 45 points a day. You know, and if that and if that movement is back and forth, which it is, you know, after the first two days, it's back and forth. If that moves back and forth, something like this is going to be problematic, and it was problematic. But I don't want to be in that trade at that point necessarily. I want to be in this trade, and I'm probably going to do it at an increased size. And it just so happens that the version 22 has a 30% gain in this range here. And I think the next one was over 10%. And then we'll talk about the next session here, which is when the normalization of the market. When you take a trade like this that's designed for you know, back and forth movement and you bring it into a flattening market, it's generally going to be okay. But as soon as it goes from a high volatility market to a low volatility market, then or, or more specifically an uptrending volatility market, it's going to start to have problems. And it's going to be at an increased risk of having a problem in the environment shift because you're taking the butterflies out and we have calls that are relatively close to the money. It looks like an M3 trade, but it's different. It gives us a, an amazing amount of price movement back and forth resiliency. And we might be rolling the thing all over the place sometimes, but it doesn't really get hurt in that environment. It doesn't bother it at all. But what it, it is going to get hurt when the volatility starts to return to normal and, you, and your skew returns to normal. Your, your wings are very wide. That makes you very vulnerable to a, to a volatility drop uh, if the pri with the price moving up. And I'm in calls that are near the money. And that makes me vulnerable to an up move when, with the volatility drop. So it's going to be problematic in that environment. In that case, whoops. In that case, I'm going to want to push over more to a version 14 trade as it comes into business as usual because – and I say not necessarily the 17. I say the 14 because at this point, the market's giving me no indication that it's reversed and it's probably bullish, and it's just as likely to go back down as, as it is to go back up. Uh, so I want to be in 14, and 14 is very neutral, and it can get hurt with a down move, but it's, it's, it's pretty darn resilient for the most part particularly if it hasn't been adjusted up yet. It has an upside adjustment trigger that avoids or, or would be resistant to adjusting up in a, in a volatile market because your delta is going to be relatively basically positive delta in this trade if you're in a volatile market where it will go negative delta if you get to a non-volatile market. So, so this is pretty resilient with that. I'd want to be with that. As soon as we start uptrending the 14, because it's completely neutral, it doesn't lose to the upside, but it's going to be more break-even type of trades. So as we transition into the uptrend, which is going to be signals right around here, I probably want to switch into the 17s. I'm going to have better luck or better performance out of my 17s in that particular case, right? So that's, that's how we're – and I'm not forecasting anything. I'm just saying this is what the market's doing. And, and yes, I take the loss on the transition. That's what we do. Right? That's what's going to happen. But I'm doing it in a very responsible way to keep my losses relatively small. I'm picking up on my size when I know the market's volatile going to something like this. When I know it's leveling out, you know, maybe I take a break even or a small loss in the trade on the level out. I go into the 14. That should perform well and through here. If I take off to the upside, I go into the 17. If we crash down another, you know, if this happened again off of here, you know, say we consolidated here and then, you know, we, we took the next leg down, we go back into the 22 again. Chances are the 14 would have been okay, right? But you know, when we see when we see the environment shift, we can we can literally 
you know, apply the trade that works in that particular environment. So that's what I, I, I love about that. And let's see here. What else do I have? I don't have any other questions. What, I, what I'd like to do is just, um, just talk about all the trades that we have um, really quickly. I mean, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll uh, just so people understand that, because I was asked that a couple times during the webinar. So we have a very, uh, especially you guys are new, we have a variety of different trading systems out there. We have uh, something called the Super Simple Spreads. It has the bull trade. This is clearly a bullish trade if you go back. And any of these trades, by the way, are designed so that they can be traded as a rule-based trade over a very long period of time. They all have success in the over the 70% over the range. Some of them are, are you know, in the mid-80s. Success rates, long-term, they're, they're, they're good. Right. They're, they're, they're very effective systems and very reliable systems, as you know, can be attested to by many, many people. So the bull trade is clearly bullish, very rule-based. There's really no subjectivity to it. There's no adjustments. <clears throat> we just put it on, take it off when we're supposed to, and it does very, very well. We have something called the bear trade, which is the bearish version. Uh, it's not a bear vertical. It essentially looks like a bearish butterfly. If you know what that is, it's a butterfly that scales into threes. It's different from the bearish butterfly where we do not have delta-theta ratios. We do not roll it up on top of the market, except from, from a point standard basis. In other words, it's meant to hang behind the market. So in a lot of cases where you get into a bearish butterfly where the market goes up a lot, you end up being right in the middle on top of the market, and then the market goes down and you lose. That typically is not going to happen in a bear trade. But on the other context in a bearish butterfly, when the market goes up and stalls, it's typically going to win, where on the bear trade, we don't know. It might, it might not, because you're not on top of the market. Uh, also, the bear trade pulls out 21 days to expiration, so you don't get near expiration. Very good position if it's timed. I, I really like doing that from a timed standpoint, and I've been doing that on some of the rallies that we've been having recently. The bull trade versus the bear trade is essentially it's a combination of the two. It acts as if it's a broken wing butterfly that is bullish upon entry and bearish or goes continually more bearish as the asset price moves higher. Right, so if you think of an M3 in a gradual rock transition for APM squared people, this essentially emulates that. Um, so if you get a, if you just get a blast up move that never stops, then yeah, I mean this is probably going to take some sort of a, of a moderate or, or a small uh, loss with the bull versus bear because the bear component may lose. But in most markets where you get any kind of reasonable price movement, this works extremely well. It kicks up the returns in the bull trade. Over time, realistically, they're about the same. Over time, it's just going to have a, usually a better win rate with the bull versus bear. Super simple spreads v condor. That's just for my condor people. This is good for a relatively low volatility market that's not grinding too, too quickly with normal volatility skews. It's going to be problematic in very, very fast-moving markets. M3, this is probably our most popular system. It is considered a neutral trade, although it's slightly, slightly bearish, as is the classic M3. We have many, many variations of the M3, but the one in the program is, like I said, it, it, it's, it's slightly bearish, slightly towards more volatile markets. It's going to have trouble in completely blowouts in the market to the downside. In other words, a very extreme of the downside or situations like we have had very recently where we get up moves with increasing volatility, you can have trouble. But for the most part, in very, very wide variety of circumstances, this does very well in. Bearish butterfly is clearly bearish. The rock trade gets into, uh, this is a shorter term, adaptable trade. So 
this trade really is the best performing trade that we have over long periods of time. The results are fantastic, and that's because it's adaptable. We do different things depending on what volatility skews are, and we don't look at the skews themselves. We just look at profile of T plus zero line in the trade. Different things depending on what, what that T plus zero line looks like and what happens during the trade. It adapts back and forth to different things, and it does work very, very well. I mean, like anything else, not 100%, but... Um, extremely, extremely um, resilient system. I, I really love the rock trade. Then we go into M21, which is essentially completely, you design the trade. So M21, we look at the M3, we look at the bearish butterfly, we look at the rock trade, and we design, and we look at the market. We show you ways to analyze the market price movement in the market, and we design a trade around whatever's happening in the marketplace on a month-to-month basis. So we're never necessarily trading the same thing. We're trading different trades every month, depending on what's going on in the marketplace. And then really, that's what the Rock and the M3 were designed for, and the bull trade too, by the way, which we don't really show in the program, but um, I would utilize the bull trade in real life, uh, especially with the extended up move that we've been getting. Uh, but that's what the M21 is about. Unbalanced Butterfly 1 and 2 and 3, these are just very strict rule-based, uh, meant for more beginners. They are actually, the, the UB2 is actually the pre cursor trade to the M3. It's, it's very similar to an M3U, only it's done on the SPX. These, by the way, are all Russell trades. This here is an SPX broken wing butterfly. Again, rule-based, neutral to slightly bullish. UB2 is, I always call a UB1 slightly bullish. I call a UB2 slightly bearish or a little bit more neutral than a UB1. It's not bearish. It's probably more neutral than a UB1. And a UB3 is where you add butterflies in front of the position or at or underneath the price as it goes up. And that, again, is fairly neutral position there. And then we get into the X4 trades, which we talked about. The X4 version 14 is a completely neutral broken wing butterfly. This is a bullish broken wing butterfly. This is a uh, an M3-like trade butterfly call configuration that's designed for volatile markets. And then, of course, we have our... Uh, Advanced training programs, we have a broken wing butterfly master track, which is not a trade. It is uh, just a series of, it shows you a series of adjustments, it shows you what, you what they do, you know, what does varying wing widths do, what does going wider wings, what's the difference between a broken wing butterfly and a butterfly call, even though the two plus zero line is the same, how are they going to react differently? And it talks about different adjustments and what's appropriate to use in different environments. So that's a lot of information there. APM squared is sort of an advanced M3 class. It goes over what we call a capital efficient M3, where you can trade with twice the capital. We have you know, some M3U variations and some other variations of the trade. We talk about doing uh, converting M3s into rock trades and stuff like that. So uh, a lot about trading psychology, really great program there. For those of you who have not had it, you can ask people who have been in it, and uh, and, and you can get an idea how, how good it is. It's really great. Oh, this Masterclass series. Is a, is a series of coaching sessions from SMB when I was doing the coaching for M3 Bearish Butterfly and Rock on uh, on SMB. I think it's three years worth of uh, coaching classes. So that's uh, part of the SMB program. We have our Trading Triangle Maui, which is primarily trading psychology and trading business. We do a little bit on Brooklyn Butterflies and how they react also. But if you would like to learn about 
trading full time and trading as a business and what you're going to go through psychologically and from a budget standpoint. Trading Triangle is awesome. And then we have Ultimate Income Trader, which is all about reading the market. It's about reading volatility it's, and, and you know how volatility works, how volatility skew curves work, how technical analysis works, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. A lot of great information. And then you know how to adapt that to the trading that you're doing. So that's essentially our armament of programs here. And there's a lot of good ones there. So uh, that with that, I don't think we have any other questions. So I'm going to let you guys go. I'd like to thank you for hanging with me here for an hour and a half. I hope that this was very informational for you, maybe give you some ideas on what to expect from rule-based strategies that you might have. Maybe give, get some ideas on uh, scaling up and scaling down your returns and those types of strategies. And then, uh, you know, taking or having a series of strategies that you know work differently in specific environments, being able to identify your environment, and then going into, when you're initiating trades, going into trades are more likely to do better or give you the highest probability in that particular environment. And then, you know, possibly if you get into some environments you really don't understand, start scaling back a little bit. Okay, start scaling back a little bit. And if you really understand and you really have a good handle on what's going on, you know, crank, crank that size up and, and take advantage of the opportunity that the market's giving you to do so. So thank you, everybody. I hope you had a great time and, uh, and trade well, trade smart, and we'll see you next time.